You're listening to Breaking the Silence, a podcast by Reach 10, where we're creating a culture of courage, compassion, and connection to overcome the shame, silence, and fear that often surrounds topics such as sexuality and pornography. We're your hosts, Chriselle Simons and Creed Orm. Welcome back, listeners. Today, we are excited to break the silence with Ty Mansfield, who is joining us to talk about how mindfulness can impact how we think about pornography and other sexual concerns. I'm so excited to learn from him because he has been studying mindfulness for a long time. But Ty, will you tell us a little bit about yourself and introduce yourself to our our listeners? Yes, um, I am a marriage and family therapist in Provo, Utah. Uh, and I also teach adjunct at uh, BYU in religious education. So I teach the eternal family class there. We talk about sexuality as a part of that. So a, a lot of my thinking is sort of the integration of Latter-day Saint theology and spirituality with sexuality. And then in my practice, it's you know addressing a lot of sexual concerns from traditional sex therapy to sex addiction, uh, sexual trauma, abuse, betrayal, you know, just a number of different concerns, all kind of within that broader umbrella of healthy sexuality. Wow. Fantastic. And do you, like, what is your family like? <laughs> yeah, do you have kids? <laughs> My wife and I celebrated 10 years this year. And we, uh, we have five little kids aging, uh, ages nine to 20 months. So fun. Mm-hmm. They're cute ages. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And we're so excited to learn from you. So I really want to understand initially about your understanding or your view on mindfulness. I feel like it's kind of a buzzword. It's talked a lot about what is mindfulness and how do we develop it? You know, mindfulness uh, used to be this sort of new agey kind of fringe, you know, meditation, things like that used to be kind of a little fringe to where now it's become mainstream right? Where any, you know, mental health as a whole has just sort of adopted it as a, as a central tenant. To be well, you need to be mindful. And so in that, my first, you know, just as a general mental health principle, and then in my focus on sexuality, there's a growing conversation around the intersections of work with addiction or just healthy sexuality. Uh, there's a professor at BYU who did her doctoral dissertation on mindfulness approaches to, to sex, broadly, you know, just sexual intimacy and marriage. And so, you know, there's a lot of different intersections and the LDS thinkers now are, are exploring both mental health and also spiritually speaking. What is mindfulness itself? Like how would we would define it? Um, so a number of different people define it differently from definitions as simple as compassionate awareness to John Kabat-Zinn's definition is that it means to pay attention in a particular way, uh, and that is on purpose in the present moment and non-judgmentally. So being fully present in the moment with a more compassionate, non-judgmental stance is ultimately, you know, some variation of that is going to be how people are going to define mindfulness. And based off of your definition, as well as the background that you explained, it sounds like mindfulness is really beneficial to all areas of our life, not just medical, not just mental health, but sexual health, um, physical health. So all areas. And I mean, I understand that you, along with other people, have written a book, Ty, called The Power of Stillness. What was the subtitle for that? Mindful Living for Latter-day Saints. 
There you go. Yeah, so even in our Latter-day Saint culture and and church, we're even trying to implement these aspects of mindfulness that are very, we can see throughout the scriptures, but we're just trying to apply nowadays to our current modern day culture. Mm -hmm. And it sounds super beneficial. So what would you say is like an example, maybe just a simple example of day-to-day mindfulness that can be helpful for our listeners to understand how you apply it on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. So anything, anything you're doing, you can do mindfully. Uh, so when you're in a conversation with somebody, right, to just to be really open, intentional, present in that conversation, as opposed to being, you know, thinking about other things or distracted or you know, even praying, you know, sometimes we pray and we get a little mindless, you know, I'm praying and all of a sudden, before I know it, I'm thinking about my grocery list and things like that, right? All of that is, you know, we, any kind of propensity towards distractibility, those kinds of things. Busyness usually would be sort of considered the antithesis of, of mindful. Uh, in Chinese, the character for busy means the death or loss of heart or heart killer. And the character for mindfulness is to bring the heart into the present, Right. And so anything that we're doing with our full heart in the present, whether that's eating, uh, whether that's, you know, being in a conversation with another person and being fully present, whether that's prayer, whether that's being with emotions. And that's something we'll kind of talk about as we get to, you know, approaches to sexuality, because it's just being in the body, being with sensations, being with emotions, uh, you know, all these sorts of things you can do mindfully. And so it really is sort of, again, it's a way of being present with anything that you're doing or anyone that you're with. Why would we want to be mindful? I mean, of course, it it sounds really nice. Help the heart, right? That Chinese character, we don't want to be a heart killer with busyness. But why would we want to apply mindfulness in all that we do? What are the benefits? I think it enables people to live life with greater power. Uh, It's key to compassion, right? Being Whether we're being compassionate with ourselves Uh, being compassionate with others. The word compassion is to suffer with. And when you are with another person, you can't suffer with them unless you are actually with them. And you have some capacity for this kind of open, present, receptive awareness, right? And again, that's going to be whether we're, you know, being compassionate, you know, self-compassion, you know, in mental health is showing to have stronger mental health benefit than what we kind of historically thought of as, you know, positive affirmations and things like that. You know, at one point affirmations were really big in mental health, but now the idea of a compassionate presence with ourselves, which feels a little different than just, you know, speaking positively actually shows stronger mental health benefits. So there's just a number of different ways in which uh, mindfulness impacts mental health positively. How does mindfulness apply to our sexuality then? Like what are the maybe challenges that come up in regards to mindfulness and sexuality and what are maybe the benefits from being mindful? I think twofold. One is that when it comes to sexuality, I think as a culture, particularly conservative religious cultures tend to not talk about sexuality well. There's some fear, there's shame. A lot of times people are afraid of their own sexuality. We're afraid of other people's sexuality. I mean, in in marital therapy, a lot of times I work with couples where, particularly in the sex therapy context, where just the sexual relationship just feels role-based and performance-based, and it's not really intimacy-based. And so to be, and really, if, if sex or sexuality is going to be integrated well into our lives. It needs to be something, one, that's integrated, and two, that we can hold in a conscious, intentional, powerful way, right? And But it's power with, 
and and something that rather than power over, right? And something that feels or that can fuel a deeper kind of intimacy and integrity in relationships. Again, a lot of times there's just sort of this, um, we're kind of acting out our sexuality or acting on others sexually rather than like, again, allowing sexual sexuality to be something that is a means of deeper intimacy and connection and ultimately communion. And so, uh, but that starts with ourselves. If we don't, we need to be able to be with our own sexuality in a, in a mindful way uh, where there's less judgment. And so if I could just even use two analogies to maybe bring us into where I think uh, an, a similar approach to sexuality would be important. Perfect. Yeah, that would be so great. Love analogies. One would be, so hunger. You know, when we think of hunger, right, we notice that we're hungry, we're with our body, and our body is telling us that we need something. And most Most people don't like the sensation of hunger, but most people also aren't saying I have this problem called hunger and if I could just get rid of it or if I could control it, it's more of just, I know that my body's telling me that I need food and so I go get food and then hunger resolves. Generally speaking, we don't have a kind of this tortured, fractured understanding of how hunger plays out. Uh, A layer out from that, emotions and how we deal with emotions is a different story. And so there's some mindfulness-based approaches to healing emotions or healing through our emotions. And that starts with renegotiating our relationship with emotions. So in this domain of, of non-judgmentally, right, being present in a non-judgmental way, often we use judgment language to talk about how we feel. So we say things like, I feel good or I feel bad, Right. Bad is not a feeling, bad is a judgment. Good is not a feeling, good is a judgment, right? And so, and what we do is we wanna feel more of the good ones and less of the bad ones. Does this make sense? And so a mindfulness-based approach to emotions would be to, to pull out of that judgment language to, and to learn how to sit with our sadness because when we're, or sit with any emotion, right? So if I'm, if I'm feeling sad, rather than you know, wanting to numb, distract, or avoid by binging on Netflix or eating a bowl of ice cream or anything that's going to take me out of my sadness, a mindfulness-based approach would be to sit with the sadness, to be curious about the sadness, understand where this is coming from and what is this sadness asking of me? And usually, you know, sadness is an emotion of grief, right? And so it's usually inviting us to grieve some kind of loss. But if we don't want to feel that and we judge them to be negative emotions or bad emotions, then we just want to get rid of as quickly as possible. We're not interested in learning from it. And so in order to learn from any of our emotions, we have to be in a posture of curiosity to be able to sit with them. And you can't do that when you're judging them. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's really beautiful because I've, I've definitely been prompted to not use good or like bad or fine as as like emotion words, but I don't know if I've ever understood it as it's because I'm just casting a judgment and I'm actually not even acknowledging what emotion I'm feeling. So I think that's so profound. Yeah. Even just looking at our emotions. Yeah, yeah. So can I bring my heart into the present to look at my anger in a curious way, to look at my sadness in a curious way, to look at my uh, joy in a curious way, or so, you know, shame or guilt or anxiety. And, and a lot of times I was, you know, just even today, I was with a client who's struggling with anxiety and their struggle with anxiety is how do I get rid of it? Not how do I understand it and respond to it in a way that it can resolve on its own. It's, I don't want to understand it. I just want it gone. Right. And that's how we respond to a lot of things. 
So if we then apply that to sexuality, a lot of people struggle with sexuality is I don't want to understand this or, you know, whether it's pornography or sexual feelings or sexual desires that we think we're not supposed to have or not when we're supposed to have them or whatever. We just have, we, we live in so much story and so much judgment around what we should or shouldn't be feeling or when we should or shouldn't be feeling it. When it comes to whether it's just understanding our own sexuality and being with ourselves, integrating ourselves as spiritual beings, physical beings, emotional beings, you know, cognitive, sexual, all these different aspects of our sense of self, all of those have to be integrated. And I can't, I'm not going to integrate or be willing to healthy and healthily integrate these parts that I have kind of a tortured, fractured relationship with. And so whether that's, you know, young men who are, you know, or young women, uh, you know, as the case may be, who are exposed to pornography at a young age and just feel a lot of guilt and a lot of shame or young adults, or, you know, there's just a number of things that, uh, because again, as our culture doesn't deal with sexuality, well. we're kind of a little bipolar in that sense, or schizophrenic more. And, you know, <laughs> our, our broader entertainment media culture is, you know, if you think about this, this marriage between, or what it should be really sexuality and spirituality are designed to be intimately connected. Uh, there's been this great divorce, and you have our entertainment media culture, which, which is all sexuality with no spirituality. And then you have a lot of conservative religious cultures that are very spiritually oriented and sexuality is seen as like, uh, as one of my colleagues uh, has framed it, it's bad, it's dirty, it's wrong, save it for someone you love, right? We have, we have this very kind of tortured relationship with it, whether that's parenting healthy sexuality and we just don't talk about it. Or, you know, as individuals, we're not sure who to trust with it, so we don't tell anybody about it. And, you know, and then we just hope, we just think or hope that it's all going to work out as soon as we get married and it doesn't work that way. So we need to be able to kind of suspend some of the judgment to better understand our own sexuality, to better understand sexuality, period, to be curious about it. And that even if there are feelings or behaviors or things that may not be in alignment with our values, rather than stopping and trying to understand how we got here or where we are, we just, we get into these very legalistic, behavioristic modes of trying to manage behavior rather than understand it. Does that make sense? And you can't understand it unless you have a capacity to be with it in, again, a curious, open, receptive way. And, and that's where a lot of people get stuck, especially with pornography. It's just about, again, it's our approaches to dealing with pornography. A lot of them are, again, very behavioristic rather than seeking to understand where this is coming from, right? And, and so some of the approaches that I've, I've really appreciated in, you know, working with pornography, there's a, a Christian author, Jay Stringer, who has a book called Unwanted. But in there, he has a very, uh, a very mindfulness-based approach to sexuality where it's, where it's really, you know, if we were to really be curious about, and more specifically, pornography or unwanted, any unwanted sexual behavior, hence the title. But it's kind of rather than being afraid of it and just trying to shut it off, if we're willing to be with it be curious about it, explore what's underneath that behavior. We can learn something about ourselves. We can learn something about potential wounds or needs or these kind of this underlying emotional world that's driving this sexual behavior, but we, we're not gonna get there if we're in this kind of tortured relationship again. It sounds like practicing mindfulness with sexuality can help us really heal for one thing, but also feel more or accomplish 
more of what we want, which would be intimacy in marriage or in relationships where we feel it's necessary and proper to be sexual, that can heal or help us inform us as opposed to just trying to put a Band-Aid over whatever we've had in our past. If I'm feeling sexual shame during a sexual interaction with my spouse, like instead of just going through whatever action is typical, maybe if I'm feeling shame, it would be helpful to recognize that. And by doing so, being mindful in these ways can heal as opposed to just putting Band-Aids over things and not really getting to the bottom of the issue. Mm -hmm. Uh, Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sitting with it long enough to really follow it all the way through. Uh, So a meditation teacher of mine, she introduced a process called RAIN, which stands for recognize, allow, investigate, and then nurture. And it's all kind of rooted in a sort of mindfulness-based approach. So in that situation you just mentioned, it's like, okay, I'm recognizing that I'm feeling shame right now. So I need to be able to, in order to understand that shame, I need to be able to sit with it, to allow myself to feel it in this very compassionate, accepting non-judgmental way. And once I allow myself to sit with it, I can then be, I can be curious about it. I can investigate that and say, okay, why am I feeling so much shame right now? Where is this coming from? What is the story underneath this? Is that story true? And if that story is not true, are there other stories? Are there other potential stories that are going to be more healing or empowering or that, that kind of thing, right? And then once I understand what's underneath that, the, the nurture piece is this sort of active self-care response. What is that understanding now inviting me to do? And again, it's just this very open, non-aggressive. Uh, it's gentle, it's compassionate, but, it, but it's still rooted in values, right? Because part of that is what is your on purpose? In, you know, per John Kabat-Zinn's, doing something on purpose. My, my intention or my on purpose is to be living from a place of intention. So my intention is I want to live according to my values, but I want to do that in a more open, gentle way, right? Less aggressive, less self-flagellating. I really love this idea so much. In fact, as as you're sharing that, I thought of my yoga practice, and this might sound silly, but Mm. in yoga, when I first started yoga, I was like, okay, this is the pose. This is exactly what it looks supposed to look like. I'm going to get there. And then I will be a successful yoga participant (laughs) that practice. As long as I do all the poses right. And it was very honestly behavioral based of making sure that I executed everything just as the teacher said. Mm -hmm. And about a year and a half ago, I had this shift because I attended a, a new teacher's class and she gave me way less direction and was just like, just be curious and invited me to be open in a way that I had never considered on my yoga mat. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. instead of just executing the different things, I just started exploring and asking myself, like, why does this pose feel this way? Mm -hmm. Like, what is my body feeling? And and it was so bizarre (laughs) because I'd never considered that before. Like my math test growing up was just like answering all the right questions. Like everything in my life had just been like, not everything. I don't want to be too dramatic, but so many things had been so behavioralistic that I'd never really learned to just be with them in this way. And I love this idea of being with our sexuality of instead of checking the boxes and doing the right things, like really considering like, where am I? What am I about? What is this creating in my life? Mm-hmm. And, and being present and curious with ourselves is, is really freeing. It was so freeing for me in yoga. 
I actually enjoy yoga a million times more and I'm worse at it because I'm not worried about the poses. Well, and, and what's interesting too, there's a prominent researcher on spirituality and she looks at sort of the intersections of spirituality and mental health. And she came and spoke to some faculty at BYU. And I was, I was curious about, you know, cause uh, you know, as you mentioned yoga, some of this, what some of these Eastern spiritual traditions started with mindfulness, but, but recently the mental health benefits of yoga has been explored more thoroughly. Harvard ha- uh, hosted this a couple of years ago, their second conference on the science of yoga. Hmm. I was asking her where as a Western culture, we've sort of stripped them of this, their spiritual, their Eastern spiritual roots and looked at them more as mental health intervention. And I was curious as I asked, and I haven't looked at the original research on this, but I was asking her what her thoughts were on, you know, these spiritual traditions and how uh, they've really sort of, you know, kind of saturated a lot of our Western culture. And she had looked into some of this and she said, the interesting thing about all of that is that while there is mental health benefit in the, in the West, right, there's these started as spiritual practices. And in India, yoga has three times the mental health benefit than because it's rooted in this deeper spiritual practice that also impacts mental health or positively. And so, you know, stripping it, even though there's still benefit, we've lost something of that. And so thinking of these more as, I mean, or at least just as much as spiritual practices as mental health practices, you know, I think sometimes in our own kind of Latter-day Saint tradition, there, we can be sort of behavior and conformity based. Like there's a, there's a strong emphasis on behavior and, and conformity, right? And I think when, that, when we shift from that to something that's more about intimacy with God, our spirituality transforms, right? It's not just about doing the right things, but it's about being in union with the divine. And these practices can do a lot to help facilitate that. That spirituality, again, is very highly positively correlated with mental health. So it's all, it all intersects, right? And it all comes together. And so, you know, looking at that, whether we're talking about, you know, religious observance or intimacy with God or spirituality, or whether we're talking about how we experience our sexuality, or how we experience the body and, you know, physical health, again, there's overlap with all of it. We are so grateful for Ty Mansfield to join us today uh, with part two of this conversation about mindfulness. And we are so pleased with what he had to say And we're really excited to implement these practices of mindfulness in our lives. They're going to be so beneficial. And uh, using compassion in our mindfulness practice and just giving it some time and space, over time we can see those benefits of mindfulness. And we're so grateful for him to share all of this with us today. Thank you for listening to Breaking the Silence by Reach 10. Help us create a new culture of connection by sharing what you heard today with at least 10 people. Please help us reach more young adults by going to iTunes to rate and review our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Reach 10 is a nonprofit. You can help support this podcast by donating on our website and following us on social media. We share these views to open the dialogue on these tough issues. We are not professionals and the ideas shared on this podcast should not be taken as professional advice. The opinions and views that our hosts and guests share do not necessarily reflect the views of Reach 10, and we don't guarantee the accuracy of any statements you hear. Reach 10 is not responsible for your use of information heard on this podcast. We keep learning and invite you to join us as we build a more open, compassionate, and courageous culture.